The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Before we even get to an overview of the Beatitudes, we have to kind of take on um, really where Christ comes from, what leads up to this moment. So as we do this, we're going to give an introduction to Beatitudes. I'm going to read a section. I'm going to read the whole thing that we're going to talk about today. And then we'll, if you don't, if you don't know how to spell Beatitudes, it's not like it doesn't even have anything about attitude. Like I said, it, it has to do with a word, and we'll talk about what a Beatitude is. And so you'll actually never see the word beatitude written here. And so these are not things that are be you normally would hear. Um, maybe you're not even your thoughts of, but it's, it's an application of the Christian life. But the introduction to the beatitudes is this. is We're going to follow in Matthew 4, starting chapter 4, verse 23, and then we're going to go through 5, verse 12. And he says, He went through all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick and the afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he didn't go, look at the crowds, let's head into somewhere so everybody can see my crowds. What does Jesus do? He went up on a mountainside, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So before we begin an overview of the Beatitudes, I want to look at what Jesus was doing to set the stage for the Sermon on the Mount. First off, Jesus came fulfilling the ministry his Father had given him. He came fulfilling the ministry his father had given him. Jesus did not come with a marketing campaign. Jesus did not come um, after building himself up uh, as a very famous person. In fact, Scripture says he was. there was not much to look at. Jesus was not the most beautiful man. Jesus was not some amazing in, in, his, in and of himself from the, from, the, from the flesh side. There was nothing that got, people would cause people to appeal to him. But he comes fulfilling the ministry his father had given him. And this is what he was doing. First and foremost, 
He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's what he came doing. And I find it interesting that when we look at Scripture, and I always look at this, we are not Christ, we are not, we are not uh, in any way, but when we look at this, every time I see Scripture, every time I see uh, what Christ is doing, Scripture tells us we're to have the mind of Christ, and what he, Christ was thinking and what Christ was doing, I want to be a part of. And so the very first thing is I always look, when I look at Scripture, how, where, how does this not only apply, but how can we relate to this, not only relate, how can we put this into action? And then I'm reminded of James. And y'all have, re- y'all have heard this read. Um, James 1, 22-27. But be doers of the word. Somebody said that this morning, didn't they? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit or to look after the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained or from being polluted by the world. It's the same calling. It's, a go, it's about preaching the gospel, but not only being preachers of the gospel, when we hear the brother proclaim, but being doers, the very thing that he's called us to do, and to look out for the, those who are afflicted. So what did Jesus do? Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. That's A. He came preaching the kingdom of God. Now there's a lot of notes this morning, but I think we can get through them pretty quick. If y'all write quick and I talk quick, okay? So... He came preaching the kingdom of God. He, came, he proclaimed the gospel. Mark 1, 14-15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He is the gospel, and he's telling people to repent and believe in him. John, John was the one who was preparing the way, but Jesus has now come. He was preaching the kingdom of God. That's very important aspect. But also, B, just as Moses came and delivered the law of God to the twelve tribes, Jesus renews the law and its implications. And that's what we're going to learn uh, learn on the Sermon on the Mount. People don't don't think about this, but if you if you actually look at it, and I just told you, I'm going to kind of as as you do this, I want. Matthew five twenty one through forty eight was that you the, you heard it said you, so starting in verse twenty one says you have heard it said uh, to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but I say to you here it is that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment so the thing is is Jesus not only renews it he brings it forward in its application and its implications. He goes on in verse 27. I'm, like I said, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to go through the full thing because we're actually going to teach on this coming up. He says, You've heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just about the physical doing of an act. It's actual the thought, the sin that creeps into one's heart. He said it's, it's even worse. Why is that? 
Because one is a physical thing that you see and others can correct if they see it in your life. But the one, this one, this is something that, that comes through the eyes and affects the very mind and the very soul, the inward man. He said, if you've even done it in your heart, it's as if you committed adultery. It's also said, goes on in verse 31, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he calls others to sin. He said, you've heard it this way, but let me tell you how it's going to be. Again, you've heard it said, verse 33, and old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say that you don't take an oath at all. What does he go on to say? He said, let your yes be your yes and your no, no. This is where it didn't even mean about a handshake, folks. It wasn't about a handshake is our firm. If you said yes, it meant yes. If, it, if you said no, it means no. And you know what? If you say yes and you really don't want to do something, you have an obligation to fulfill it. Maybe you should, in the pious way, maybe you should stop and pray about it. Maybe you should ask of the Lord. Remember he says, if anyone asks of me, what? He will surely give. He'll give us the answer. He'll give us the wisdom. goes on to say, Verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. Someone wants to sue you to take your tunic, go ahead and give him your cloak as well. Someone wants you to go one mile, force you to go one mile, go two. It's not about just doing as he accused the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You tithe on the, mil, the, the dill and the cumin, but what you lack is justice and mercy. See what he's saying, how he's bringing it forward? He's renewing. He said, you've heard it said, so you've been taught correctly. But let me show you how it applies really in your life. You've heard it said, verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say you'll love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, come on. So you can be, be sons of your Father in heaven. I can't wait to get to this aspect because we've talked about it a little, just this one part. But as we break down the you have heard it said, it's life-changing, life-altering. I want you to understand he renews it. Then, then see, Jesus makes a renewed covenant with a renewed application for not only the twelve disciples, but for the multitudes who were following he wasn't just sitting down in, in a little holy, holy huddle with these 12 guys. Is it there, Grace? See? He wasn't just in a holy huddle with these 12 guys that he selected and he's talking quietly. Now guys, here's our game plan. We don't want the defense to know what's going on. Alright. we got to fake it till we make it. Let's do it. No. Jesus was on the side of the mountain. It's a natural amphitheater. And he's speaking. And it didn't say... He said this 12 gathered to him, but he spoke to his disciples. <coughs> Who's a disciple? A learner. They don't know why they're following Jesus right now. I'm just going to tell you, he's been teaching, but he's been healing people. They've never seen anything like this. 
And they are following Him. They are listening to Him. This is the main teaching. This is the big moment. He comes and He preaches this message. So He's not only teaching the twelve, but it's also He's speaking to the multitudes that are there. Remember, it said from all over the place. People were just, they hear and they're coming. So what does he do? Matthew 5, 17-20, which we'll talk about as well. I'm just giving you the overview. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, who relaxes one of these, least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does these and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He comes and he's, he's telling these, these, many of them just common people saying, listen, unless your righteousness exceeds these people that you've heard all that, you've heard it said through all the time, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. These are very strong words to a people and they've never heard, we'll see, they've never heard someone speaking like this before. How do I know that? Matthew 7, 28-29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. This is the end, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is their response. For he was, they were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. If you want to see a shot at the religious establishment of the day or today, He was preaching and teaching as one who had authority, unlike their actual teachers in their synagogues. D, the covenant, though it is new, because it is made with a new people. The covenant, though, is new because it's made with a new people. Now, I can argue that the the church of God has always been the people of God. From Old Testament, yes, it's not hard, but... But Hebrews 12, 22-24 says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He has brought us to a new covenant a new people have been the people of God now I'm not going to go as far like I said we're not going to go as far but he brings us to this life this new life this new covenant found in him in fact he says it's the same tree of life which is the life of the covenant but with new branches grafted in so, in the beginning, God created all these things in six days. On the seventh day, He rested. On the sixth day, He made. He, he, I mean, He's placed man in the garden, right? And He gives Adam one command. And what was it? You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's specific reason why. Because there was two trees planted in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. 
And so he said, he didn't say they couldn't eat from the tree of life. You just cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing they couldn't eat from. And so it's the same tree of life, which is the life of the covenant. It's the very key of the covenant. But now new branches are grafted in. Romans eleven seventeen through 24 says, But if some other branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you all remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you are cut from what was by nature a wild olive tree and grafted by contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more would these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? What he's telling them is there is a tree of life and there are those who are, we talk about the Jews, they, they, what did they do? Because of their unbelief, because they didn't follow. He cut them off because of their unbelief. But if they return, if they repent and turn back to Him, they will be grafted in again. Gentiles were grafted in. They're wild, wild by nature are grafted in to the very tree, the tree of life. But it's not just because, you're, because you've always been in the church or your parents were in the church. That is not what makes us a believer. We are grafted in. We are rooted in Him. And if we start thinking it's by our own works or our own ways or all these other things, then what happens is He says, be careful that you don't get cut back off. Because God's... Don't, don't trample on the kindness and the graciousness the mercy of a holy God. See, F... I'm, I'm just telling you, Jesus is the tree of life in the new Jerusalem, God's kingdom and city, and, and in every age. I'm not going to say in every dispensation because that sounds funny. Jesus is the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22, 1-2 tells us, Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on the other side, of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. Jesus is considered the tree of life. He is the one, it's from his throne, basically, where it flows from. He is life giver. He's called what in Scripture? His word is called the what? The bread of life. Jesus is called the word of God. So when we look at these things, it's very simple. So I want you to see, this is all He's fulfilled in order to bring us to this place to understand how it fits in. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. So secondly this morning, God's covenant people are a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ. R.J. Rushton said the new covenant thus renews the law because a covenant is a law treaty, but at the same time an act of grace from the superior to the lesser. 
Because a triune God gives His covenant law to man, an act of grace, man must in gratitude and faithfulness keep that law. To depart from the covenant law and grace is to be accursed. Our Lord in the Beatitudes therefore describes the covenant man, the man of grace who is therefore the man of law. These are the blessed or the blessed. So let me walk through the Beatitudes and give you an overview this morning. And then we get to break down. I can't wait till next week to break down blessedness, but we'll look at it. The blessed are poor in spirit. The blessed are poor in spirit. Now, the problem with the English language is that we have a lot of associations that we think about when we think, especially when we get to meek, and I'll tell you what meek means in a little bit. But blessed are the poor in spirit. That's, that is what it says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what the scripture tells us. Edgar Goodspeed talked about the, we talk about the word when we talk about being poor in spirit. He wrote this: These are those people who know their spiritual need. That means we are bankrupt without Christ. So when we hear this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize their bankruptcy before Christ. These are those who know that they are not autonomous man. They are, that they are not gods, but sinful men. These are those who are not attempting to build the kingdom of men, but the kingdom of God and His reign. These are those who reject Satan's lie in Genesis 3 that you can be like God, which instituted the fall of man, and rather want the reign of Christ in all their being and all their living. They realize that they are bankrupt without Christ. B, they are also, the blessed are those who also mourn. It's the blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn. This is, like I said, I'm not going to put a, there's going to be some scripture references beyond this, but most of it's just going to be broken out. These are those who mourn over their sin and the world's apostasy. They mourn over their sin and the world's sin. These are those that rejoice in the Lord's salvation, but they also grieve over the world's rebellion. So you notice he said those who are poor in spirit. I don't think, if you don't understand, if you don't come to this place of understanding of our bankruptcy without Christ, I don't know how you can mourn for your own sin and the sin of the world. That, I think this is why so many atheists can just easily... They, they say they feel sorry, but it's, it's just how it is. I mean, why, is there com- why would an atheist have compassion? There's nothing to be had. There's no gain from it. Unless you understand your condition, your spiritual condition, your actual condition, that you're bankrupt, that you're worthless, that you're dead in sin. Unless you understand that, compassion's not even necessary. And they won't mourn over themselves. And there's no reason for them to mourn over a world. There's no reason for them to mourn over the loss of a loved one. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are those that mourn over their own sin, as I said. These belong, to these belong the kingdom of heaven, which brings them great comfort. It's not only knowing your bankruptcy, it's not only understanding that you're grieving over your sin, 
You understand that the Lord is your salvation, so you rejoice, but you grieve over the sin of the world. The blessed are also those who are meek. Meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This throws dispensationalists on their head. Because dispensationalists think that everything's going to hell in a handbasket, the Lord's going to return, He's going to blow up all this stuff, and there's nothing. But what does it mean that they shall inherit the earth? I mean, they're, like, they're doomsday. Most of these guys have a doomsday approach. That's why I don't, that's why I'm not concerned about chemtrails and going on. And the reason why is because I'm not a doomsday approach. I, I believe that He's put us here on this earth, God has placed us. For a purpose, and that we shall inherit the earth. And for us to inherit the earth, we need to know what that means. The word meek does not mean weak or timid, but in its origin, it describes this. And I and I and I read this, and I'm just sharing with you. A, it describes a gentled horse, a broken to halter and saddle, and made useful. A meek man is made useful. He's broken. Yet for a purpose. These therefore who are meek are those who are useful to the Lord and are harnessed to His service and His law word. These are those who shall inherit or by the Lord's care conquer and subdue the earth. Notice that we're not saved to get out of hell free as a hell get out of hell free card. It's it's saved for a purpose. And it's to conquer and subdue this earth. It is our inheritance. Of course, if you think the world's going to hell in a handbasket and everything's getting destroyed and all these things are going bad, of course you don't want to inherit it. Who wants to go down with a sinking ship? But if you're building the kingdom of God, the glorious kingdom of God, and you're getting to be a part of that, total different perspective. Don't tread, it's no longer don't tread on my ground, you're treading on the Lord's ground. It, this place has been claimed as holy for His name, and His purpose. Psalm 37, verses 11, and then verse 22. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Notice this is Old Testament. This is not New Testament. This is not Jesus just coming up with something brand new that's never been heard of. The, the, the meek shall inherit the, earth, inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off. That's why we hear in the New Testament, which I've preached on and used this verse tons of times over the last few months, Matt, the Great Commission, once again, he says, go disciple the nations and teach them to what? To obey everything I've commanded you. Go and change the world through the gospel and teach them to obey. It's not, it's not like it's... It's a growing and it's an expansion thing. It's not a something that's declining and plat or plateauing and disappearing. It's something that's constantly at growth. So blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are harnessed, uh, harnessed to the to the Lord's service, useful for Him. Indeed, the blessed are those who are not only concerned with righteousness or justice, but they crave and thirst for it. I'm not concerned where people stand on the thin blue line or about judges or about Supreme Court decisions or any of that stuff. I will share with us right now 
It doesn't matter where you stand on those things. If you do not hunger and thirst, if you do not crave and thirst for righteousness and justice for yourself, but more importantly for those who are oppressed, it is a sin issue. It is nothing more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are those, remember, these are those who will inherit the earth. And to inherit the earth means there must be justice, righteousness and justice and mercy. It's not enough to know the law of God. It's not enough to be able to tell people God's word says. That's when Jesus said, you know, you tithe of that, that a tenth of the, the dill and the cumin, but you for have neglected justice and mercy. You should have done the former without neglecting this. This is so important. These are, these are those who are, these are not those who are a slave that can only desire for justice to be served. Understand this. I want you to get this word picture. These are not just those who are a slave that desire for justice to be served, but those, these are those who are like kings who seek to establish justice in every realm of life here on earth. See, we are not slaves who can only make requests before our King. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And He says we will reign with Him. The quest and work for justice is where they find the spiritual satiation to the point that they must be filled until all things of justice are consummated. That means when we see injustice, our hearts should burn. We should hunger, hunger, for justice to be served. And for some people, you say, you're just, that's just crazy. You're just going after, it's just all clickbait and all this. No, it's not. When you see an injustice, we must respond. And we should not be satiated until we see justice consummated. That means it's finality. As a people who, who, are, who, are, who are building the kingdom of God and participating in these actions, it ought not be something that we should sit back and go, you know what? I feel sorry for the... That's, that's what it means to be a slave. I feel sorry for people in that situation. But, you know, God's on His throne. I mean, even for those who long for the... And every believer should long to see Jesus face to face, the consummation of all things. But it says that Jesus is going to put, what? All of His enemies become His footstool. And the final thing is what? Death is conquered. We get to be a part of that. It's not just about preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, but it's actually living out the justice and the mercy that comes from Him and flows from that throne. E, the blessed are also those who are merciful. They're those who are merciful. Mercy is a hard thing for many people to understand. They think mercy is, I'll let you get away with it this time. Once again, that's a slave mentality. That someone's below you. That someone is Lord over you. A man is Lord over another man. Matthew 5, 7 says, The blessed are the merciful, they shall, for they shall receive mercy. Many people want to receive mercy, but they don't want to do, give mercy. And many in the church do want to receive mercy from the Lord, but they don't want to give it where it is, is needed. That's why when, when Jesus gives his the, what's called the Lord's Prayer, He said, and what? Forgive those 
who trespass against you as how what you want to be forgiven. These are those who understand that mercy is God's prerogative and power. And as covenant people, and as his covenant people, as heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, we exercise mercy and faithfulness to his law word. When we are faithful to do that which is not our flesh, that means when we seek justice and not what our flesh desires for those individuals. Now, it's easy, I'll tell you this, as a very few people are willing to turn over their own flesh and blood for a crime. Or they, it's hard for them to believe that their own flesh and blood can do it sometimes. And so they actually are the greatest hindrance to justice. And you see cases of husband, wives standing by husbands all the way through the whole trial at court. I even remember, not too long, if you remember the Bill Cosby case, I mean, just tons of people being paraded and uh, having depositions. And I mean, come on. I know he was a well-known, he's a well-known man, but the thing is, the story was one after another. And they didn't talk to each other. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't have ever known. When I look at this, mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. When they want mercy more than anything, it's, these are those people that proclaim and manifest His grace and mercy that will receive mercy. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There are consequences for sins, and those consequences should be there. I'm not arguing against the penalty of sin. But when we fall short of the glory of God, the first thing is, is we ought to be doing is reaching a hand down and saying, I've been where you are. Let me show you what we must, you need to do, what we must do, and let's do it together. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. F is blessed, the blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. I, I, just in this moment, just... Just what the Lord just just one thing that came to my mind. Do y'all remember uh, Jesus didn't go and Lazarus dies, and Martha's there, right? And what does Martha say? He, Jesus asked her, "Do you believe he? You believe he he can be raised from the dead?" She goes, "Yes, Lord, I believe in the resurrection at the last day." He's like, "No," and he he turns from that moment and he raised. It's that it's this type of thing. I want you to think about. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We don't look for God to move. This is the problem when I when I have anybody tells me that they're cessationist, meaning that I don't believe in the gifts any longer, that they're finished. When someone tells me that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were apostolic gifts only, they've all disappeared since the apostles. The first thing I want to say is, don't you want to see God? And we don't look for Him to move beyond what our hands and our feet can do. See, these are those who are pure because they have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. First thing, most important. But their purity is not of themselves by self-conceived, pious behavior. It's not just how I can look clean on the outside. It's not about being a whitewashed tomb but being full of dead men's bones. But it's the work of Christ Jesus alone through their ongoing, it's called sanctification or, or growth in holiness as they're putting off the old sinful man and putting on the new man, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. The pure in heart are not trying to do a work on their own to make it seem like they're pure. They allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in them, renewing their minds, transforming their minds, that they might be useful unto God. Ephesians 4.22-24 says, To put off your old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3 tells us, Don't lie to one another seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. These are those whose ultimate joy and privilege is that they will know and see God. They know that their salvation begins and ends with Him and that ultimately they shall see God. And I will say this, and I go on as I just mentioned, I want to see God move. I want to see God at work in His church. And I can tell you it's going to happen when we're doers of the Word, not just hearers. G is the blessed are those who are peacemakers. A lot of times when I hear this and I say peacemakers, the blessed are those who are makers of peace. And you got to know where's, how, where's peace come from. I'm sorry, but you can go on a mountaintop and you can hum all day long and you're not going to have peace. It might be quiet. You might disturb nature with your humming, but I'm going to tell you, being having peace has nothing to do with us in the initiation. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I have a lot to say about this when we get to those who have a warring spirit, or I call war mongers or war whores. But blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. These are who are like their Lord and King. They're peacemakers. See, only a king in antiquity could make peace with his enemies. And Christ, before a long way off, in fact, we're told, what does a king do? He sins and he tries to make peace before his enemy gets there. They try to make compromises. They try to do everything they can to make sure and change the moment. Why? A king can do that. Can a servant do it? Absolutely not. Can a slave do it? No. Hence I would say this, one of the reasons why I I even look back at the account of David and Goliath, why Goliath actually laughs and why did you send me this, this little boy with sticks and stones? Why did you send me this? He didn't know that David had already been anointed king. You ought to know that, did you? You didn't think about it. He wasn't. He didn't have the fulfillment of king with the people. But he had already been anointed king. So the king did go out to make peace. Peace is not always without bloodshed. But these are like their lord and king. They are peacemakers. And only a king in antiquity could make peace with his enemies. And Christ, through his atonement, has made peace between God and those He has saved. We as His heirs and ambassadors, key, as heirs and ambassadors to the King of all kings, are to be a people of grace and bringers of peace through the Gospel. They will not find peace apart from the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll be found wanting. They'll search for happiness and money and career and family and all these other things, but ultimately peace... There is none. H, blessed are those who may be persecuted. I had to put that in. I, I don't always say blessed or always persecuted. 
some people fall on their own on their own cross too much. Woe is me, woe is me. McDonald's won't, you know, close on Sundays. So I'd say the trivia travesty is that you're actually going to McDonald's. They may be persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's contingent. For righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are those that since they belong to the Lord and are devoted to His kingdom and purpose, find themselves in the midst of warfare using the gospel of our Lord. It means it's for righteousness' sake. There's a lot of things people are martyred for unrighteous reasons. And they're self-martyrs many times for unrighteous reasons. In doing so, there there are persecutions that may come for His name's sake, including for some even death. I mean, you have to remember the first century. They weren't killed because they were Jews. They were killed because they were Christians, which in itself was a derogatory term. I mean, if you look at what the torture and what happened to Christians in that time, please understand, there might be persecutions. You may put yourself in positions. God might call you to places where you do that. But ultimately, most of us fall in the last category. It's blessed are those who may be reviled. And this is where you have to, for the sake of Christ, many times you have to take up that old mantra, stick and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Because it's foolishness. Listen to what it says. Blessed are you when others revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Understand that it wasn't always that you were killed. Persecution doesn't always mean end of life. Persecution means for a reason. Why did they persecute prophets? Because they brought the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And someone says, I don't care. I will go my own way. goes back to the first slide. Did God really say? No. He, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God told them not to eat from the top tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't need to tell them why not to. He said, just don't do it. You eat from everything else, just don't. When people revile you, those are those that regardless of the falsehood and lies spoken about them or persecution due to the proclamation of the word of God, they remain faithful to the task at hand, understanding their reward is in heaven with the pleasure of the Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. They are not concerned because people will revile you for because of his, on his count. They, they, they will speak all kinds of evil against you on account of Christ. Understanding it's not just because they don't like you. It's because they do not yield to the Word of God. Ultimately, ultimately, not all believers will be persecuted, but all believers will be blessed. And that's really the key when we go into next, heading into next week. The word, the beatitude, actual meaning, is a supreme blessing or, holy, or happiness. It's a God-given blessing and happiness. So when you hear the word blessed are those, those, the poor in spirit, it's actually a badge we desire to take upon ourselves because of the call of Christ. I'm going to finish this with a Russian quote and can't wait to get into it next week when we talk about blessing further. But the covenant is a blessing. Listen carefully. The covenant is a blessing. The law is a blessing. Grace is a blessing. The Lord's salvation is a blessing. 
true, in a world of sin, the bearers of God's grace will suffer from the hostilities of the world against God. But our Lord declares plainly, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the greatest blessing, it doesn't matter, everything we face, in every moment that we do, we rejoice. Why? Because Christ has already overcome the world. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.